Hi, this is Susie Rigdon, manager of Fall for the Book, a literary arts nonprofit and festival based here at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia. For more info on our events, visit our website, fallforthebook.org. We're pleased to be hosting this episode of Mason Out Loud and are particularly excited about our guest, Andre Perry. Andre Perry is an essayist and arts advocate. He received his MFA from the University of Iowa's nonfiction writing program, and his work has appeared in The Believer, Catapult, Granta, and other journals. He co-founded Iowa City's Mission Creek Festival, a celebration of music and literature, as well as the multidisciplinary festival of creative process, Witching Hour. He continues to live and work in Iowa City. Some of us are very hungry now as his first book. Welcome, Andre. Thank you. So your essay collection, Some of Us Are Very Hungry Now, challenges quite a few conventions, starting with form. In the nonfiction world where writers are so used to teaching the reader how to read an essay from the start, can you talk about your choice to play so fully with form, even using different forms within the same essay? Yeah, I think it's just kind of part of my aesthetic and not that I alone possess that aesthetic. When I was coming up, particularly when I was in school with a nonfiction program, I think there was a lot of thought about what is the best form or the best constraint or the best way to tweak the layout of an essay so that you can better get at the ideas that you're trying to talk about or the multiple threads that you might be trying to talk about. Uh, there are definitely some like really clear influences, I think, around that time. Writers like Andrew Monson, who you know is just so fluid working between different genres and you know just working with different forms in his essays or even his short fiction. And he had an outsize of effect on us at that time, as well as the journal Ninth Letter, which is out of Champaign-Urbana, UI Champaign-Urbana. We would just devour those essays and, and read each issue. And it would just like really force us, I think, to think about how we made choices with our own form. Also, I think the essay or nonfiction in general is just such like an open and fluid form itself that you can go in so many different directions. It's like the ultimate like postmodern I think form of writing because you just like pull from whatever media is available to you, whatever voices are available to you, and you try to make this some, some sense out of the world by putting them all together. Of course, you can write things like in a really like classic, like narrative, traditional way, which I love. But it, that other side is also open, and I think I'm attracted to that side. But not always, because like even in this collection, you know, some of the stuff is just like straight ahead, like these are just words on a page. There will be no messing around with form. <laughs> we will try to tell a story. Yeah. So, I mean, among many of the forms, you've got the multiple choice question. You've got the letter. Uh, you've got you screenplays, things like that. Are there any forms that you haven't maybe published in or written in that you want to try or experiment with? I think in terms of like classic essays that still appear on a page, I'm working within the world that I want to work in right now. What I would like to see are, or what I would like to collaborate on or make are essays that are more performative and, and just kind of experiment with that space a little bit. What happens when you're collaborating with someone who works in film or works in sound and you're using their talents, collaborating with them to create, you know, an even deeper meaning or a deeper reflection of, of this world that we live in? Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about all the different types of ways that you can experiment and format. I was wondering, are you planning on going digital or, or really playing around with like multimedia experiences to tell your stories? Because there's just a lot of really dynamic people working in that space. And especially with how often we're online. I mean, is that something that you really want to work towards? Yes. I think there's a project almost in the making, but I can't talk about it right now. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but just to say, yes, I'm, I'm working on that. And let's check back in like six months. <laughs> How cool. Now, I, I'm curious. 
Are you working on any of the digital side or the writing side? Both. And it, the project that uh, is kind of cooking that I'm being really weird about not talking <laughs> about uh, is a collaboration with the sound and visual artist. And so we have no idea how it's going to turn out, but we're going to try to do some stuff. I mean, as these things go, we'll probably do something and it'll fail. And But it's like fun just to like do it. And then from that failure, we'll probably start to see the thing that we should be doing, whether together or with other collaborators. Totally. I, I just think this is a, such a great time for exploration of all these different platforms and using multiple platforms oh, yeah. to tell a story. Awesome. So, all right. So in your essays, um, we're talking about form, but also you travel across the country and the world, often weaving descriptions of each location with some strong critiques of them at times. So for example, in your essay, No Country, you use history, observation, and personal experience to comment on San Francisco. Long considered a bastion of liberal inclusivity, you comment on its segregation and hypocrisy. So can you talk about your process of writing against the narrative of a city like San Francisco that they might want to tell about themselves? I think this whole book is about getting closer to the truth of human experience on a very personal side. The stories I tell about myself, the reflections, the pressure I put on, you know, certainly my past self in this book, can I get to the truth? Can I really understand who I was and what I was doing, if I was doing things right, if I was getting things wrong, but can it just be the truth? Because I think that's what's actually helpful for us as readers and as community members engaging with art. Can art tell us about the truth of our human experience so we can maybe see what we're doing a little bit better in our daily lives and maybe even apply some of what we see or read or hear. So that's something on a personal level, but also in the more, you know, on the grander scale when you're thinking about cities or or countries or, or the whole globe, I think I wanted to put pressure on, you know, institutions and put pressure on communities. There might be a narrative of a town, but is that are the actual actions and the policies and the way that people live in that town meeting that narrative? And I think the biggest question that we always ask ourselves, maybe not, we're not all asking. One of the questions I ask about the United States is we project, you know, this idea, this ideal of what living in the United States should be. And I sometimes feel, not sometimes, I think it's just a fact that we're not quite like up to the vision or the ideal that we project to the rest of the world and to ourselves. And so I always want to put pressure on that. It doesn't mean I'm like mad to live in the United States. I'm just like, yeah, like if we want to be awesome, like then we need to really examine ourselves and try to see where we're at and then where we need to go. So going all the way back to your question, you know, I put that pressure in San Francisco because it is like the liberal bastion within what is often seen as the hyper liberal state. So is San Francisco living up to its promise of what it offers us? It offers us this promise of freedom and uh, everyone maybe getting along. It offers us fulfillment of our dreams, promise of gold in many different forms. Is it giving us gold? No, it's actually taking away gold because none of us can afford to live there, right? You know, so yeah. like it, it actually wants the gold back at this moment. And in terms of being a liberal place, sure, it's liberal, but are you know all the liberal constituents within the city of san francisco meeting the standards of equality that you might hear them talk about you know in the paper or if they're on city council talk about it in a meeting are they meeting those standards sure i'm sure some people are really pushing for that that, that equity and equality but i don't think i don't think everyone is and so it's not to say damn you it's like yo once you see the truth that's when we really have to decide what our values are. Like, maybe we don't want it to be equal. 
okay, like roll with that. Like, you know, but just own that, but don't say you're one thing and then doing something else. So it's open, opening up some opportunities for some self-reflection for people in those areas or looking at those areas as well. Like, sure. Are we really meeting that? Yeah, and I'm happy to get pushback on it, but that's part of the conversation is, hey, let's at least have the conversation. I was going to ask, especially because some of these places are, are held on such a high pedestal, have you received pushback on some of the critiques that you've given on, on these types of places? I don't know. I don't know if people would tell me. So I'll be on the West Coast doing a West Coast tour in 2020, and we'll see how that San Francisco event goes. You know, I think that'll be telling. And I will certainly pick the set list of readings for that evening to really home in on some of the ideas around San Francisco that I have in the book. In Iowa City, which also gets is under the critical lens in this book, you know, I think the reception was was real. We had a, I, I did two readings in the Iowa City area, one in Cedar Rapids, which is kind of like Baltimore to D.C. is like Cedar Rapids is to Iowa City. And in both situations, I think we had great conversations from people with different backgrounds and different perspectives, particularly about race and equity and class in the towns and both of those towns in those areas. And so that's all I really want is can like we at least like initiate a conversation. Mm -hmm. It's less political in terms of like political party, but I think it's all about how do we achieve our best citizenry, you know, and wherever we might be. Yeah, very interesting. So you started talking about the personal as well in that, but kind of moving a little to personal as well. So nonfiction writers are frequently asked about the ways in which their own identity informs their writing. In some of your essays, you've talked about how limiting that can sometimes be. So can you talk about how you navigate these issues in your own writing? Of writing around identity? And yeah. Yeah, I think that's just part of the process of writing, you know, at least for me, is trying to figure out who are you in this world in the space that you're in, whether it's this country or, you know, the town that you actually live in. It's an ongoing act of self-reflection and examination. And I think as I get older, I welcome it more. And so for me, it's just part of the process of writing, you know, and it doesn't mean I always have to be centered as a character within an essay or a story, but my perspective maybe is, is part of the process always. And part of who I am and where I'm coming from is part of the process always. And so part of what you write about quite often is music hmm. and musicians. So you've looked at that also through the personal as well as pop culture and culture more broadly. How has your, how has your interest in music evolved over time? And, and how have you seen that kind of change or shape your writing? I've always been a huge music fan, you know, in terms of just, you know, listening to tapes and then CDs and then back to records again. It's just always been part of my personal culture, I think, handed down from my brother a little bit older and so music has always been a lens through which I can understand the world around me and so I've had so many music experiences both live and recorded that have I think really helped me get a handle on like expressing life in, in the modern age and so music just plays an important role in my life in terms of writing about it you know just like music's so interesting in terms of how scenes are created around music whether it's a really popular artist you know I, I talk about some rappers like Kendrick Lamar and, and Dr. Dre in the book, or just like more like underground artists who I also talk about in the book, you know, kids doing like DIY punk shows and things like that. I think music scenes can be an open door for like doing some of the rigorous work that essays should be doing, right? In terms of like trying to understand our culture. And so I'm attracted to that. And I, I think I 
I don't know, maybe I won't be, but I think I always will be. So here's the writing practice question. Do you have a soundtrack when you write? Or like, are you listening to something when you're writing certain essays? Does that kind of influence how you're writing the lyricism of what you're writing or the form that you're writing in based on what you're interested in listening to? I go through phases. There's some artists that are really important to me and there's some albums that are really important to me when I'm like in the depths of really creating for a book, when I'm in that deep exploratory and experimental phase of just like getting words on the page and amassing words before I get to like the deep revision phase of writing a book or writing a a longer piece. And so some really key records for me have been uh, Brian Eno and Robert Fripp did this album called No Pussyfooting from I think like 1973 or 1974 that is really, it's like ambient, but it's also like super strange and, and like slightly aggressive for like also being like an ambient record. And it comes like in waves. And so it's like really good to write. So if you sit down for like 40 or 45 minutes, like you're going to have some peaks and valleys, like even within the writing process, whether you do like 50 words or you crank out like a thousand words. So it's really good at having this like subtle, sometimes not subtle emotional backdrop, but not too overbearing that you're like, it's not like listening to like Rage Against the Machine where you're like, I clearly <laughs> can't write anything at this moment because <laughs> this dude's shouting in my ear. That definitely uh, might color <laughs> what you're writing or not writing. Just, you know cursor blinking on the page and you're a musician yourself is that right I do, I do play music yeah what do you play I mostly play keyboards and synthesizers uh, I've been playing in this band called the Lonely Hearts that was founded when I was living in the Bay Area many many years ago like like 2003 or something like that and that is what we describe as a post-apocalyptic folk rock project <laughs> um, nice and it's with the singer songwriter John Linnenbaum who lives in Fort Collins Colorado now plays in Nautilands He's just like an amazing songwriter and we've been collaborating for many years and he's just like I think one of like the best lyricists I think and so just like on a craft level working with him has been like really important for my writing in terms of like choosing words and obviously you just have less words in music right typically versus like you know even a poem has more words than you know than a lot of songs so I've learned a lot in terms of efficiency and how you can communicate emotions or narrative in small amounts of space and so i've been doing that project yeah for a long time we've toured all over the country we've got like four albums out we're working another album it's kind of slowing down since i'm in book support mode right now but uh we'll we'll be back and that's just like an ongoing project of just it's another way of like just reflecting on the stories that make up uh life on earth serves as a really good transition to talk about your festival Mission Creek that we talked a little bit about in your bio. So on your website, the festival says that it, uh, quote, thrives on immediacy and cross-medium events, which are bringing together music and literature, which I totally love as a as a festival manager. I love dynamic events. So I want to ask, what types of dynamic conversations and topics do you think readers are looking for, and how do you curate those? And one step further, how are you bringing music in to kind of help build those conversations so we started mission creek the iowa city version because the original version started in san francisco bay area and i was a producer for that when i lived out there and we started in iowa city when i moved there and jeff ray who had founded the initial version said is this an idea that maybe could work in the iowa city market or in the community and i thought about it for a while after moving to iowa city and there were two things that really resonated among other things but like Music and literature are just like two really important parts of that culture, both on and off campus. And when you think about it, because the University of Iowa is there. So it just made sense that if we were going to start a festival, it should have music and literature because we figured a lot of people who listen to music 
probably read books. You know, <laughs> who like really, really, really like music are probably into books and vice versa. Maybe not everyone, but a lot. And it seemed like a good way to bring together these different communities under one tent. I mean, we don't actually do it in tents, but like you, you get the point. Like it seemed like a good way to bring everyone together, you know? And so that was the genesis of doing Mission Creek Festival. And it's evolved and changed many times over the years, but music and literature have always been the heart and soul of what we do. And in terms of what's in what we think is important or what's desired from readers, the literary side of the festival, there's a lit walk that is part of it that takes place on the Friday of the festival every year. That's three hours of like really short readings. And through that, we really try to give a space for all the writers in town, whether they're grad students or undergrads, just writers at large, writers who are coming in and visiting, just a, just an opportunity to like share their work and have a stage to ensure that that's part of the experience of being a writer is that you don't always have to have a book out. You know, you just might be working on a bunch of poems. You might be working on some essays or some stories. Like we want to make sure you can get out there, share it on a stage and get paid for it. It's part of just recognizing and appreciating the artistic process. And I think our community, for those who are not writers but big fans of lit, it becomes an opportunity to just like hear new voices or hear new work from maybe established voices because they can read that short story that's not yet in the published collection. So that's a really important event for us, and we keep thinking about how to make it better and how to make it more inclusive so that we're encouraging as many people as possible in the community to be like, I'm going to write. And maybe you're not a writer who's like, putting out books every two years but you're just it's like part of your practice because like just practicing art is like really helpful and I think beneficial to communities we also bring in writers who talk about craft writers who talk about special topics that are on their mind and we have a keynote reading on that Saturday as well as a book fair that is like mostly independent publishers as well as a lot of local literary organizations in Iowa City or in Iowa at large and so it's just really just an opportunity to get the community together and just celebrate you know all the work that people do whether they're writing or teaching or you know running a cool reading series like let's all get in the room and just celebrate as well as the readers so awesome so you mentioned this idea of practicing art and so you do so much you're in the band you're writing these collections you're running the festival how do you balance the quote-unquote day job with the creation of art because so many writers are in this similar position of doing things to make money and then also trying to have a fulfilling career of, of just writing too well in this current chapter of my life my mission is really to create art and to facilitate the creation of art and so that's what's driving me in kind of my external world is how can I keep making things books music, whatever it is, and how can I help provide platforms for other people to make things? And so with that being my driving force, it's not easy, but it's, it's easy to know like whether I'm on track or off track, right? And so those are my priorities outside of my family. Mm. You know, I have other priorities, like it'd be nice to go see a football game with some friends or something, <laughs> but like uh, those are like the key priorities, right? And, and so that just helps keep me on track and know what's it's important. I also have a three and a half year old daughter and kids definitely make it less easy to be your wild young self, but I think kids also help teach us uh, new levels of efficiency, and so I respect 45 minutes of time to write or read or revise something or zone out, maybe more so than I did a few years ago, mm -hmm. and so I really try to take advantage of the time that I do have, and I'm in you know 
a privileged situation, which is I somehow live in a town where my partner and I can afford to live there, <laughs> which is nice. And there's a real a lot of really good support for families and for kids there. It's like a good kind of educational framework for the most part. So that really those things really help. Like just off the bat, they just give us freedom as people to like do things that we might not otherwise do. And they allow us freedoms that a lot of other people in our own country, let alone the whole world, don't have, right? So that's important. That gives me a little bit more space. Even if I feel like busy all the time, it could be like way busier and I could have like way less opportunity to be like thinking about the next essay. So that helps. And I like the work that I do, my day job. And my day job is like hard and I do it all the time and I feel like I'm working two jobs, but it's refreshing and re-energizes me. And my bosses are, they, they're open to like me following my craft and they understand that it feeds back into the work I do you know like I'm gone like as we're sitting here doing this talk like I'm gone from work for a week right and there's like still stuff going on but I work with like a lot of like artists and creators and so it's like part of what we do collectively interesting awesome so for my final question I want to go back to the question of place since you know you grew up in DC and have moved all over the country and the globe so as kind of a final question what is the most influential place for you as a writer? Is it where you are now because of all these artistic roots? Or is it places you've traveled to or lived in before? I cannot choose one. <laughs> Fair enough. Without getting in trouble with someone. <laughs> <laughs> They're all important. I think the ones that r resonate for obvious reasons so deeply with me are where I grew up in DC. Because like, you know, those are great formative years with joys and challenges. San Francisco played a really large part of my life. I moved there right after college and lived there for five years. I was a teacher working in elementary and helping to build a middle school. I played in several rock bands, was part of the scene, was producing events and shows. And you know, for all the criticism I will give to the Bay Area, there is that California thing and there is that very specific San Francisco thing that despite all the changes experiencing now, never leaves where you like you can you always feel like you're chasing this dream you know and that the dream might be possible it's like part of like the seduction of san francisco and so that was a really influential time for me to be there so i think that city will always like be part of my heart though i live in iowa city now and that's my home and iowa city is really it's a great place it's like really small but there's a lot of vibrancy and there are a lot of things that the town's getting right and there are a lot of things that the town's getting wrong in terms of how the resources are being distributed, in terms of how education is being distributed to different people in different socioeconomic situations. Though solutions have not been sewn up, people are on it. And it's like not being swept under the rug and it's part of the community conversation. And there's like mad work to be done, but I feel like people are like trying to do that work. So that's a place I wanna live. And so it's, and it's really influences me in my day to day. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us, Andre. We appreciate it. Thank you. You can find other episodes of Mason Out Loud on SoundCloud and iTunes. For more information on Fall for the Book, visit fallforthebook.org. And as always, read on.